0: Good morning, First Church. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house today. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, What a great, great Sunday. Welcome to our Next Gen Sunday. Welcome to our Autumn Fest Sunday. Welcome to our Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Welcome to our Combined Service Sunday. It's just an awesome and amazing Sunday today. And so I want to welcome everybody in the house today, all of our guests and everybody who's watching online. Thank you so much. Let's put our hands together. Yes, it's a special, special Sunday today. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, everybody that's a part of the Next Gen department. I know Bianca and I get a lot of the credit, but in reality, it's not. we, we, d- we definitely don't do most of the work. That's on uh, Tiffany and Steve and their team, and Matt and Chris and their team, and they do such an amazing job. All the teams underneath them, they do such an incredible, incredible, incredible job. Yes. Uh, I just need to jump right into it because, man, I'm excited for later today, but I do want to say... It looks great outside. We saw all the ambulances. We saw the cop trucks and everything. I saw a couple kids running around. I saw with their costumes. I saw a couple ninjas, and that just, you know, spoke to me on an ancestral level. I connected with that deeply. I'm excited uh, for today. Normally, like I'm known as the guy that doesn't speak long, but as I like wrote out today's message that's that God placed on my heart a few weeks ago. I, I like practice it. I go through it. I, I record my timing, and today is not a short message. So, but but hey, I, I'm gonna get through it, you know, because I have I have like this weird internal clock, and it's actually not my fault. I blame my parents. Um, I'll explain. Love you, Dad. Love you, Mom. Um, so when I when I was a kid, a young kid, you know, whenever I said a bad word, my parents would punish me by taking Tabasco and putting it on my tongue and it was painful, it worked initially. But after about three three times or so, I began to acquire a taste for spicy things. I love spicy food, man, that butter chicken. If there's an option for spice, you make it spicy. I love it now. And so, man, I, sometimes I'll just slip a bad word just to get a taste of, that, taste of that liquid gold, you know what I mean, Tabasco sauce. But obviously that doesn't work forever, and so my parents upgraded they went to physical, physical, physically attacking me. And so they took the giant, you know, Home Depot paint stir sticks and they would put it on the, on the fridge and every single time I did something, man, they'd whip it out and beat my backside with it. And man, I'm telling you, something, it's psychological because when I go to Home Depot, the smell of that, the smell of that pine and measuring tape, something happens. I love the smell of Home Depot now. I don't know how to explain it. Somebody else probably can, but, but then after that, you know, you can't spank people for too long, and then it gets weird. Um, so my parents upgraded to something that I would call psychological abuse. It's not abuse, psychological warfare. Um, what they did was, whenever I did something bad, they would sit me around the dinner room table, and we would sit down, and they would just talk to me. Now, that sounds fairly innocent. That sounds fairly simple to some of you, but I'm not talking about a 15-minute pep talk, Like we're talking about two, three, four hours around a dinner room table. This is not an exaggeration at all. And like something happens to the mind when you're just sitting there listening for four hours. Something happens to the mind. And so I I, I have PTSD from those moments. And so now I, I really do have an internal clock. And Bianca can tell you, when she talks for like more than five minutes, like my eyes just like blank out. I go into a weird, weird place. So I love spicy food, love Home Depot, hate long talks. Um, And so I know something's going to start clicking in my mind when I get too long. But if you would just bear with me, I promise you it's going to be a great, great Sunday. And so if you would stand with me in honor of the word of God, I don't have much, I don't have many verses to start off with, but I'm going to start off with Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 2. One of my favorite, favorite verses, something that I that I downloaded into my spirit a couple couple years ago, but it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And listen to this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Now, before you sit down, I do want to say something real quick. It's really important specifically for this message. But any, every single time we come in on a Sunday, every single time you pray or read the word, it's really, really important that individually you make a decision to submit to the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean much to some people, but I'll explain it like this. Submitting to the word of God simply means I am going to obey what the word of God says to me in my heart and in my hands. I will submit to the word of God. Now, this means regardless of my own emotions, regardless of my own opinions, regardless of my past, regardless of my own ideologies, I will submit to the word of God because I trust the word of God. And so that's really easy for for most people in the room for most of the word of God. But if you can't submit to all of the word of God, you can't submit to any of the word of God, which means if you only agree with 90 percent of what the word of God says, you cannot say that you're submitted to the word of God. Make sense. All right. And so today let's pray and just say, God, I'm submitting to your word today in the name of Jesus. I'm asking you, God, to open up our hearts and minds. Let us receive everything that you have intended for us and not what we have intended for ourselves. God, I submit my will, my life, and my future in your hands to your word. And in the name of Jesus, the church says, amen. Oh, you can be seated. Amen. Something uh, strange has happened lately in the past few years. It's this weird phenomenon that I've been noticing in my life. I, I would have these conversations on the phone or text somebody or just talk to somebody about like this cool idea I had or something that I'm actually wanting to buy coming up, like new cars or, or just some random thing. And then the next thing you know, next time I'm on like Facebook or Instagram, that thing is actually, there's an ad for that thing on my phone. It's weird. It's a crazy thing. I was literally talking to somebody about like, man, wouldn't it be cool to have like an outdoor office space just to get away and just like, you know, do what you got to do. And on Facebook, I literally saw an ad for an outdoor office space like the next day. And there's this crazy moment where I'm like looking at my phone and my phone's looking back at me and I'm wondering how it's how it's able to read my mind and, and hear my words and somehow just Show me exactly where I need to spend my money. Um, but so I did a little bit of research and a little bit of digging on this crazy phenomenon. And it turns out that actually, even though I didn't know it, I actually agreed to this thing that's happening. You see, every single time I sign up for Google or log into Instagram or, or any, every single time it has like those 12 pages with a checkbox and agree, every single time I like skip through it, checkbox agree, I'm actually agreeing to giving away my information. It's a wild thing. Like, literally, I had no idea, but the truth is, your information and my information, every single like, every single comment, every single Google search, all that stuff is just data that these big companies are actually making a profile for us and then selling it away so that people can advertise to what we want, right? And so it's crazy. I didn't know that I was actually accepting these things, but in the fine print, it says, hey, if you click agree, this is what we're going to do with it. And so I actually agreed to something I just didn't understand. But the fact is, just because I didn't understand it doesn't mean that I didn't have to deal with the consequences of that agreement. And you see, just like gravity, for example, if you don't understand gravity, it doesn't mean you can jump off a building and survive doesn't mean that just because you don't understand the legal laws of this land doesn't mean someone can't take you to court just because you don't understand the things of God doesn't mean you aren't subject to the things of God and so today I just want to break a couple of things down I want to talk about some things that you know I, I there's choices that I made in my life that I had no idea what I was actually signing up for when I signed up for it I had no idea what was on the other side of these doors that I opened up as a young man And I had no idea that it's impossible for me to close these doors again and that I'll have to live with the responsibilities of my actions from so far back in my life. And so today I want to kind of take us through a spiritual checkup. You know, when you go to the hospital for your annual checkup, you're not looking for anything specific. But they'll ask you questions and they'll take, they'll take blood samples, they'll, they'll measure your weight, they'll have all the measurements, ask you even more questions, and then just to see if there's any underlying symptoms, just to see if there's anything going on underneath the surface that they, they're trying to find for you. So today I'd like to just give the church a spiritual checkup, per se, and just, have, just see what the word of God has to say about our lives today, right now, in this moment, Because it's really important to understand exactly, exactly where you stand with God. You see, the word law has been used in the Bible all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way to the New, all throughout Scripture. In fact, over 500 times, just the word law has been used in Scripture. And people will say, you know, the Old Testament, that's the legalistic, that's the legalistic side of Scripture, They'll say that, you know, Jesus, Jesus came and, and died on the cross in order to, to, to destroy that legalistic nature of the Old Testament. But that's not exactly true. You see, in Matthew five seventeen, it says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so now that we're living in New Testament era, we're actually still living under the law, but we're just living under the law along with the spirit of God. And you see, the spirit of God doesn't abolish the law. It actually magnifies the law. I'll explain it. When you look at the Ten Commandments, number seven says, hey, it's not you shouldn't you shouldn't cheat on your spouse. Right. You shouldn't you shouldn't cheat on the person you're married to. But in the New Testament, Jesus says something different. He didn't say, hey, don't cheat on your spouse. He said, don't look at somebody else with lust or else you basically cheated on them. Now the law just upgraded like tenfold. The line, the the bar just raised with Jesus. And, And number six, it says, don't murder. But now Jesus is saying, hey, if you have hatred in your heart, you murdered them spiritually so now the bar is raised again so now that we're living in the new testament era we're we're still under the law it's just a different set of laws and so Jesus came and died for our sin resurrected from the grave pour out his spirit so that we can conquer sin the sin that's revealed by the law you see the law is so important let me get back to this as today, you know, we're living in the New Testament, and so we have the availability of God, we, but we're still living in a time of law. In fact, the Bible does say that now that the Spirit of God is poured out through faith, we don't have need for the law. But let me ask you a question, rhetorical. I'm going to be asking a lot of rhetorical questions today. Can a law be broken? And that's a trick question, actually, because it's yes and no there are laws that are breakable and there are laws that are unbreakable so in the world today judicial laws are breakable laws right the speed limit says 70. i break that law every single time i touch the the steering wheel i break that law but you know you know you shouldn't you know you shouldn't jaywalk i guarantee you that law is being broken right now somebody is jaywalking see these are breakable laws in society Should we break them? No, but they're breakable. However, there's another aspect of laws. There are laws that are completely unbreakable. For example, the laws of physics. You can't break the laws of physics just because you want to, right? What goes up must come down. Just because you will it, you can't say what goes up stays up. No, gravity will always bring it down. And and, and a law that says an object at rest stays at rest until acted on by an unbalanced force. You can't just break these laws because you will it. Why? Because there are breakable laws, but then there are also unbreakable laws. And the same exact thing happens spiritually. You see, the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament are known as breakable breakable laws i'll categorize them as the breakable laws matthew 5 and 17 says as i already said i didn't i didn't come to abolish the law i've come to fulfill the law because the law that this verse is referring to are breakable laws galatians 3 24 through 25 says therefore the law was your schoolmaster to bring us to christ that we might be justified by faith but after faith has come we are no longer under the schoolmaster see that that verse as well is talking about breakable laws of the spirit the law the code the breakable ones but these laws were meant meant to be broken that's the thing if you couldn't break these laws you would have no idea what sin was You see, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, in that moment, they made it necessary for the law to exist because now we need to know exactly what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. People say that we're born with these moral senses of right and wrong, but if you never had the law, you would never know you were in the wrong. You would never understand that you're living in sin. Okay. And that's where Jesus comes in, right? Because in the Old Testament, they only had the law. They only had the understanding that they were doing wrong. They only had the understanding that they were never going to be good enough. They only had the understanding that all the the sinful nature of of my soul, of my being is completely wrong. But the second that Jesus stepped into the picture, he's saying, yes, now that you know you're wrong, let me give you the solution out of that. Let me give you the answer to that wrong that you're feeling, to the breaking of these laws. But when you read Galatians 3, talking about these breakable laws, and then you read Romans 8, and you begin to compare it, something might not make sense, right? So Romans 8, it says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. But I thought the law was abolished through faith. Now that I'm in Christ, well, the reason why there can be law after the law of death is because these are what I would consider unbreakable laws. The law of life in Christ Jesus is an unbreakable law, just as the laws that come with sin and death, they're unbreakable. It doesn't contradict itself. It actually works with it. You see, the law of the spirit of life is like these physics, the the laws of physics. What goes up must come down. And the laws of sin and death, they're like the physics. What goes up must come down. These are things that are bound to a person underneath that set of laws. You see, in America, if I cross the border to Canada, the second I cross that boundary, I am now under a different set of law. I am now subject to a completely different set of leg- legislation. I'm, I'm, I am no longer, I'm still an American, but I'm no longer under the laws of America. The second that a Canadian comes to America, they, they are no longer, they don't have the same freedoms, they don't have the same liberties, they don't, it's not the same thing. Because now that we change sides, we're under a different set of laws. And that's exactly what's happening here. You know, in church, we start talking about lukewarm Christianity. But the Bible is pretty clear when it says you can't serve two masters. It is impossible to be just switching sides. It's impossible to sit on a fence according to the word of God. You are either under the law of death or you are either under the law of life. You can't pick either side. You, you, have to, you can't pick both. You have to be on one or the other. And so today I want to talk about that. I want to talk and I want to, I want to just dig deep real quick uh, on which side we're actually on because it's important. Romans 7, 1 through 6, this, this verse is so beautiful because it actually explains what happens to us when we choose to live for God. And it says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound to her bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she leaves with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has, who has been risen from the dead, in order that we may bear the fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which was held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old ways of the written code, aka the breakable laws." And so it's a beautiful thing to watch these breakable laws of the Old Testament work in conjunction with the unbreakable laws of life and of death. You see, for anybody who's been born again of of water and spirit, you can relate to Romans 7 when it's saying I was at one point of my life bound to a marriage of sin and death. But when God came into my life, when I was born again, immediately in that moment, God completely destroyed and killed off my past love. He completely killed off and banished the the thing that I was married to. And now I was free to remarry and, and buy into the kingdom of God. And so now, if you've never been born again into Christ, if you've never, if you've never been born again by water and spirit, you are still under the law of the written code. You are still under the law of the Old Testament and you're still under captive and bound under the law that we're all born into. That's the law of sin and death. If you have yet to be born again, you are still under that law and you can't fulfill it until you enter into the body of christ and that's by identifying with the death the burial and resurrection that's by that's by repenting being born again of water and of spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues so until that moment happens you are always going to be bound under the laws of sin and death you will always be bound by the code by the law of the old testament that only points out that you're wrong but the second you're born again now we have new life See, John 3 and 3 says, Jesus replied, verily, 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 I say unto you, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You see, that's why it's so confusing for people who, who haven't been part of the church, but they're just joining and they're just walking in. And, they're, and, and you try to talk about holiness and you try to talk about a life after birth. How is it possible for somebody to understand a lifestyle of holiness if they'd never been born again? It's impossible that's like trying to explain to someone what a lemon tastes like and they don't have taste buds it's impossible to understand what life is like with god how in the world can they understand you see it's similar to the bible talks about being adopted into the kingdom of god and i would see these videos on youtube and they're really powerful moving videos of a of a stepchild and a stepparent. And the child would come on Christmas or a birthday or just a special day and they would would bring these adoption papers to their step parent and say, hey, can you adopt me? And it's these really moving and powerful moments. But that's exactly what happens with us and and Jesus. We need to be adopted into his family by choosing him. And in that moment, he'll always say yes. But it's a powerful, powerful thing because God will never force himself in your life. God will never force himself on you. You have to choose Christ. You have to make that decision. You have the will and you have to make that choice. And when you do, now you're under the law of life in Christ Jesus. You see, there are stages in our walk with Christ, and so why don't don't worry about running, start by being born. You see, the, the word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For anybody who's still under the law of the code, the law of death, liberty from what? That's the real question. What am I getting liberated from? You get liberated from these pervasive thoughts. You get liberated from sin and condemnation, from shame. You get liberated from your past of sin. You get liberated. See, the second that that God signs that line and says, yeah, I'm adopting you into my family is the same time that he is taking every single decision that you've ever made and saying, I'm making it my own now. You are completely exempt from this moment forward. And that's why everybody in this room, every single person in this room, when I start talking about the law of death and the symptoms that come with the law of death, everybody will understand it. Why? Because that's what we're all born into. We all know what that's like. Galatians five nineteen. Now this is talking about the external symptoms of somebody living in death. It says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is evidence: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and all these things and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the external symptoms. You can see these things in somebody's life. You You can see when somebody puts video games above God. You can see somebody who's stepping into sexual immorality. You can see somebody who who struggles with being drunk. You can see somebody who struggles with anger. You can see these external symptoms. But there's this incredible quote that says, for every thousand thrashing at the leaves, there's always one hacking at the roots. And so today we need to hack at the roots. See, these are external signs of somebody living in sin. I wonder what the internal signs are and it's really really important for anybody who's really struggling right now that you don't just start with these external symptoms you don't just start by stopping something why because human nature is to fill the void nature's job is to fill a void and so if you don't fill it with something intentionally you will naturally fill sin a void of sin with something else that's why you know you stop drinking but you just fill it with pornography you stop gossiping but you just fill it with envy you have to always fill it with God that's why when Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah the angel said hey hey don't go to the valley don't just leave the city in the valley you have to climb the mountain it's not good enough just to solve something you have to begin to climb the mountain as well it's important and so when it comes to your walk with God there are two things that are really really important is direction and momentum direction and momentum where you're going and how fast are you building pace You see, you can say, man, I don't really struggle with those signs and those external symptoms that you were just talking about. But the fact is, when we start digging deeper into the heart of somebody, that's when you look at the direction and the momentum of somebody. You see, My job as a next-gen pastor is not to, not to clean up the mess. I'm, I'm, I need to stop the train before it gets too far. You see, Bianca and I, we can see a young person who begins to walk away from God. We, our, our spiritual senses start to tingle the second we see somebody beginning to step away. You know, they're not dealing with these crazy things, but we can see when they start to walk away. And that's when we have to have these hard conversations and saying what's going on because we're seeing the heart. We're seeing the internal signs. Through little bits of external symptoms and that's because sin is progressive and it's always 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 a slow slow build we don't want to clean up the mess we want to have the tough conversations before it's too much. before you go too far before you cross the lines that you can't just uncross before you open up doors that you can't just close again you know I was talking about doors the fact is every single person in this room has opened doors that you found out later how difficult it was to shut right? The doors of sin, they're always very tempting. They they always start off closed in our lives, you know? They always start off closed. but—but but the But there's a draw, there's a voice on the other side of the door and you begin to get curious about what's on the other side. Having no idea what's on the other side of that small intended action, that small intended sin. I had no idea. But the second I opened up these doors, I didn't know how big that room was. I didn't know I couldn't just shut the door right back after me. I had no idea what I was accepting into my Life, the second I said yes, but that's what we're trying to clean up today. You see, that's why pastors always asking about how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Why? Because money and time is a symptom, it, it shows a direction and it shows the momentum. You see, it's not a sin to buy a car you can't afford. But it is a sign of your direction and your priorities. Priorities dictate direction. And it's not a sin to slow down your prayer life than than what it once was. But it does show your momentum. Are you speeding up or are you slowing down? You see, God, you know, pastors always trying to find out before it gets way too far. But you're saying, man, I'm not sinning. It doesn't matter if you're sinning or not. Which way are you actually going right now? And so that's why it's so important for the church to understand the symptoms of life and the symptoms of death. Because these internal symptoms do show which direction we're moving towards. Amen. Before I jump into the symptoms, it's important to understand what's not a symptom. The fact is circumstances are not a symptom of life or death everybody goes through hard times everybody goes through difficulties and living with Christ doesn't take away the hard times in fact a lot of people can easily say it actually brings on some some difficulties of its own so when bad things happen to you it's not a sign that you're living in death far from it however how we respond to hard times can be a symptom How we react when bad things happen can absolutely be a symptom of which direction you're going in. How you view your life the second something bad happens can show you exactly where your heart is, if you trust God or not, right? Another thing that is not a a symptom of death is temptation. A lot of people think that when they get tempted, oh, that means I'm living in sin. That means I must be going in the wrong direction. That's far from it. In fact, you should be glad that you even understand or notice a temptation. So many people in the world have no idea that they're being tempted. They just go along with the ride. So just noticing that you're being tempted is a sign that you're seeing things through a spiritual lens. And so being tempted is not a symptom of somebody living in sin. Not at all. But the Bible does say to flee from temptation. That's important, fleeing from temptation. The crazy thing is the Bible also says to resist the devil. Now that's an interesting thing. I'm supposed to flee temptation but resist the devil. According to scripture, which one actually has more power in your life? Temptation or the devil? I'm running for the hills when it comes to my own flesh. But I can resist the devil if he's standing in front of me. Which one seems more powerful to you? My flesh scares me far more than the devil ever does. My own personal temptations, my own flesh scares me more than the devil ever has. It's powerful for us to understand exactly what's powerful in our lives. You see, it's it's a very dangerous mentality for a Christian to say, I will never fall to this sin. I am impervious to this difficulty. That's very scary. That's very scary. I'm fully aware of my temptations. I'm fully aware of the darkest points of my life. I'm aware of how dark I can actually get. And so my job is to set up every single boundary in my life so that I'll never cross those temptations, so I'll never go too far, so I'll never do something that I can't just retract, so I can't just apologize for something, so I don't have to do something that I have to live with for the rest of my life. It's so important to understand these things in Jesus' name. So let's get into these symptoms of death. The first one I have written down, and I'm sure there are dozens to hundreds in the Bible, but I just have a few written down here. The first one is simply a love of self. James 3 and 16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambitions, there you find disorder in every evil practice. You see, I know that this verse seems pretty obvious, right? You shouldn't love yourself, you should love other people, all that stuff, pretty pretty, pretty church stuff. But let's get deep into who you actually are. How much do you actually desire this world and how much do you actually desire the things of God? You see, I think that when you're living, in fact, I know that when you're living under the shadow of death, a life of God, you view it as constricting and controlling. If you're under death, When somebody starts talking about holiness, when somebody starts talking about lifestyle changes, when somebody starts talking about these are the things that, that I give up for God, you actually look at that and say, man, that's controlling, that's restrictive, that's bearing down on your freedoms, that's bearing down on who you are. That's how you view the things of God when you're living under the law of death. And it's completely different when you're living under life. When you're living under life, you look at these things and these boundaries and say, man, I look at this world and I look at my flesh and that looks so dark and heavy. I want nothing to do with that. And I'm pushing myself away. I don't need you to draw the line. I got mine backed up 20 meters that way. I'm good. See, that's that's a completely different perspective. On how you're looking at these things. You see, people living under death, they begin to blame the church and the people of church for the cause of your internal clashes. There's always somebody else to blame and it's never your fault. You always look at them as being too constricting. You always look at the pastor as being too controlling. You always look at the church as being way too much for you. But if you actually look past all the built up excuses at the core of who you are. It really is just a love of self. You'd just really rather do what you'd really rather do. That's the truth, man. Just be honest, be honest. You see, under death, you have this fleshly self-centered perspective of self-gain, self-promotion, self-comfort, and that is the driving force of your life. We ask the students all the time, when we start talking to them, sitting down in circles, we say, hey, when we ask these questions, don't give me the right answer, give me the real one. Because if you're in church long enough, you know all the right answers. How about you be real? If you can't be real with somebody else, be real with yourself for a moment. Who is the God of your life? Who is the God of your life? What's its name? Is it self or is it Jesus? That's the real question. Who's in control of your life right now? Is it you or is it God? Right. The second symptom I have is a fear of death. Hebrew 2, 14 through 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through the death, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There is a difference, and I need to make this clear, there's a difference between the fear of death and not wanting to die. Self-preservation is a instinct, it's a human instinct, it's a life instinct. Anything that has life does not want to be physically harmed. Excuse me. That was weird. They don't want to die. I personally don't want to die. If I see a car coming my way, I'm swerving out the way, right? I have an instinct to save my own life. But there's a difference here. You see, there's a difference between the fear of death and not wanting to die. Just because I don't want to die doesn't mean I fear death. If death is what happens after you physically die, I'm not afraid of what happens after I die, I'll protect myself, but I'm not afraid of death. Pastor talks about people on their deathbeds, and he says that there is a distinct difference between walking into a room of somebody who's been living for God and walking into a room of somebody who's never lived for God. And the peace and the comfort, the understanding of where someone's going next is completely different compared to a room full of fear and unknowing and confusion. There's a difference and I believe that every single person on the face of this planet, every single person in this room on a gut level, you know exactly where you stand when it comes to heaven or hell. You know exactly where you stand with God right now. I remember as a kid, I would come home, I would get dropped off of my house and it was empty. I'd go upstairs, look for my parents, look, go downstairs, look for my siblings, couldn't find anybody. I was a little scared but hey, I started a call then and nobody picks up. Now I'm kind of freaking out. At this point, I'm, like, calling, like, five, six times, like, hey, what is going on? And nobody's picking up. I'm legitimately praying in that moment, oh, God, save my soul. Save my soul right now. And then finally, you know, my parents pick up, and I'm mad at them because it took them so long to pick up. But in reality, I was just terrified for my life. That's the truth. But I remember a difference when I came home after just knowing I was with God and nobody's home. And I remember that moment because I was like, this is a difference, in my emotions, I have a completely different attitude here. I wasn't afraid. I knew for a fact if God, God there's no way He came back because I'm still here. There's a, there's a confidence in these things. There is no fear of death when you're living under the law of life because, at a gut level, you truly know. We asked the students, I asked the students a couple times you know, a year if you were to die right now, where would you go? If you were to die right now, where would you go? Honestly, be honest with yourself. And some people say, heaven. Some people are honest enough to say, I'm going to hell if I die right now. But then there's a group that would say, I don't know. I I really don't know. I'll make it clear. If you don't know, I think you actually do know. I really do think you do know. You're just afraid to say it out loud. And so for everybody in this room, just in a moment of clarity, if you were to die right now, where exactly would you go? Be honest. It's important. The third thing, the third symptom, it's an indifference to the presence of God. We see it often. But in John 3, 5 through 8, it says, And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, no man can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of spirit and of water. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You see, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. But in Hebrew, every single word in Hebrew also has another meaning. So it means spirit, but it also means wind. Why? Because the spirit of God can be closely related to the wind in many, many, many ways. You see it's so easy to see somebody in the in the pews to see somebody on a Friday night youth service and when the power of God begins to sweep in the room you can just see the ones that are affected by the spirit and you can see the ones who are just standing still indifferent to the spirit of God and that's a dangerous place to be you see I've been there so I can call it out right I've been in the rooms Where I'm looking around and it looks like everybody else is being affected by something I don't understand. And I'm saying, what in the world is happening and why don't I feel it? It's kind of like looking outside of a window and watching a storm rage through trees, blow through grass. And you're seeing this wind move in front of you, but you can't feel it. You can't feel it. And I remember just watching people moved by God, but it was that same curiosity that led me to receive the Holy Ghost. It was that same curiosity of wanting to experience what somebody else experienced to move me to a place where I finally encountered the Spirit of God. You see, you can look at people and you watch them begin to worship. You can even hear the wind. You can even hear the spirit as somebody begins to speak in tongues. And you're just curious what in the world is happening. And why can't I feel what these people are feeling? Why am I not jumping around in joy? Why don't I have my hands lifted? It's very obvious. You can see the spirit. You just can't feel it. There's an indifference to the spirit of God. And that is a dangerous place to be especially especially if you've already been born again you begin to lose the sensitivity to the spirit of god you you used to be moved by god in such a powerful way but now it's not become so relevant in your life anymore Waiting for certain songs to turn on before you can lift your hands. Waiting for an emotional charge before you worship God. Worship doesn't care about emotion. Worship starts from the soul. It starts from the innermost part of who you are. It doesn't matter what's going on and it doesn't matter how you feel. That's just what worship is. Worship is who I am. You see, the emotions always follow my hands. In Jesus' name. And you start talking about worship in the Bible, and we're apostolic, man. We worship in spirit and truth, and we love that. We worship in spirit and truth. But if you can distinguish spirit and truth, you can also distinguish what comes with spirit and truth. I've gone to churches with a lot of truth, no spirit. I've gone to churches with a lot of spirit, no truth. There's a difference. But I love this church because we kind of get, get a good mix of both. Amen. So what does the Bible actually start to say about spirit and truth? The Bible says that the truth shall set you free. It also says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So if we can distinguish spirit and truth, you can also distinguish freedom and liberty. What does that mean? Okay. In the times of slavery in this country, there was something known as the Underground Railroad. That's when, that's when slaves began to escape north, trying to get away from their slave masters. Why? Because even though there wasn't freedom in their land, they were liberated in their mind. They were liberated up here. But something crazy happened. After freedom. After the freedom bells rang and there was freedom in the land, after slavery was abolished, what happened? There were people who were freed slaves who died on the same plantations that they were born on. Why? Because there was freedom in the land but they weren't liberated in their mind. There's a difference and you need both. You need both freedom in the land and liberation in the mind that's what true worship is that's what true worship is you need both of them spirit truth and you need freedom and liberty both of it and people will say man i can i just can't feel it sometimes i don't feel like worshiping sometimes but like i said worship comes from the stem of who you are it doesn't care about emotions you see to quote T.F. Tenney, you put your hands to the plow and you begin to push because the heart always follows the hands. You want to feel worship, you begin to worship because the heart of worship always follows the hands of worship. You just worship. The fourth and the last symptom that I have is condemnation. And I'm going to read that same scripture that I've been reading all throughout this message. just Romans 8, 1 through 2. And it says, there there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You see, if you're living under the law of death, you can't help but to feel condemned. And if you're living under the laws of life, you can't help but to feel convicted. They're two different actions for the same exact thing. So condemnation and conviction are the opposites, opposite results of similar circumstances. You see, if you, if you sin, when you mess up, when you do something wrong, if your heart instinctually says get me away from god get me away from the house of god get me away from the people of god i don't want them to judge me i don't want them to look down on me i don't want them to to understand exactly what i'm going through on the inside that's called condemnation in comparison to when you actually mess up and you do something wrong you make a mistake and something inside you says get back in the prayer room get back to the church get back to the house of god that's the voice of conviction it's the opposite and it's important to understand you see people living under conviction has no idea what the sound I'm sorry people under condemnation have no idea what the sound of conviction sounds like they have no idea that when they mess up the, what, what that voice sounds like saying, My grace is sufficient for you. That if you only lay it back on the cross, I'll, I'll take care of your sin. They don't know what it feels like. All they feel is this, this repulsion from the things of God. That's because you're living under condemnation. But God's saying, I died so that you don't have to live under the law of condemnation. I've, I've done something so that you can be free from that sin, that shame, that guilt. I, I'm freeing you from condemnation. And I'm speaking to you through conviction but it's really important that we understand conviction as well because conviction is like a glass of cold milk it's really good right out the fridge but if you leave it too long it turns real sour you see convictions untouched turns into condemnation that's that's true oh we can we can put our hands together for that that's the truth convictions untouched turns into condemnation Have you ever felt God pull at your heart during a service or a prayer meeting and say, man, I need to do better. I just need to do better. But you decide not to make instant changes. You decide not to act on the voice of conviction. What does that voice actually turn into too long? It starts to turn into condemnation. Say, man, you messed up and you'll always mess up. You didn't do what you should have done, but you'll never do what you should do. That's what it turns into. Conviction is powerful in the moment, but if you leave it out long enough, it'll turn against you never 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 let conviction stand still if God's telling you to do something you do it right now you do it right now amen and so if you're in this room right now let's talk about right now if anything that the word of God is saying speaks to your soul and it's saying, get back in the prayer room, get back into the altars, get back into the presence, find a place where you can be born again of my spirit and of water. If that's what God's telling you right now, it's so important that you respond because if you don't, it's going to push you away. It's going to push you back. It's going to take you back. You got to respond to the voice of God. You got to respond to the voice of God in jesus name man see we're talking a lot about laws and symptoms we're talking about all these things and in fact man we're about to start you can start playing but it's so important to understand that that regardless of all these laws and symptoms of the death and life there's one thing that's so important and if you miss everything that i said hear me when i say this one thing this is important there is no law that holds you back from crossing borders There is no border patrol between death and life. There is absolutely nothing between where you stand right now and where the grace of God is right in front of you. You know, the the, the lies of the enemy will say there's such a big gap. But I'm telling you, there's no law that says you can't cross. God's right here. And if you need it, God's right here. If you need him, God's right here. It's time for the church to respond and say there's nothing holding me back. My sin isn't too big my past ain't too big my mind's not too big there's nothing nothing holding you back from the grace of God and if you need mercy God's right here it's time church it's time to respond to what God's prompted inside of your chest what is God telling you to do get back into my altars find a place of prayer My, my, my grace is sufficient, and my love casts out your fear. In Jesus' name. Let's begin to just press in the presence of God and say in the name of Jesus, I want to make sure that I'm in the right law. I want to make sure I'm under life. I want to make sure that I'm still in the grace of Jesus Christ. I refuse to let my convictions stand alone again. I'm responding to what your word says. I'm responding to what your voice is telling me. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let's pray, church.
1: Let's give it to God.